Isn't it great that when technical and electronic stuff throw you a curveball, you can still hit it out of the park? I just thought these guys did a great job this morning. Thank you all for working with them. And uh, hey, do me a favor. Uh, open up to John chapter 16. And we do not have this, and I'm not going to make you turn around. So you're going to have to take really good notes this morning. So if you did not get a bulletin with an insert, um, you need to raise your hand, grab one, take good notes this morning. So we, before I left in a few weeks ago, we had finished up John chapter 15, working our way through the book of John. And if you recall, chapters 13 through 17 is our, our Jesus's final moments with his disciples. Um, in chapters 13 and 14, he was with the disciples in the upper room having the Last Supper. And then in, at the end of chapter 14, he, he leaves with them. And now they're progressing to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus, kind of like a dump truck in these last few moments, has just been dumping a ton of information on these guys. It, it's like he's been saving it up for them. And he knows I'm in my last moments with these guys. And he begins to teach them a lot. And, and just, just burying them with information. Well, the thing about Jesus' teaching in this time also, and I, I've said this, is he likes to repeat himself. It's not like he just says it one time and then moves on. He says, he teaches them once, maybe one thing, moves on to another subject, but then backtracks and repeats what he just said, but maybe saying it a little bit differently. And so as I was getting ready to do these verses here in chapter 16, I, I was like, felt like I was singing that song. How many of you remember the song, um, Henry the Eighth I Am? Anybody know that song? If you don't, it, it kind of, it, it's like this song goes, Henry the Eighth I Am, I Am, Henry the Eighth I Am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before. And it goes on a couple more verses and how the people are like cheering for Henry being the eighth guy who married this woman. Well, when you get through verse one, after about four or five lines, it goes to this one line. It goes, verse 2, same as the first. Second verse, same as the first. And it just repeats itself. Second verse, same as the first. I kind of feel like that. Second verse, same as the first. Same teaching Jesus has already taught. And so here in chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, I want to see and I want to show us that being a follower of Christ, being a believer in Jesus, being a Christian is hard. It's hard. Everybody say it's hard. it's hard. I know there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of pastors. There's a lot of books being written that makes it sound like being a Christian. Oh, you may have a couple bumps in the road, but overall it's fairly easy. And, and, and Jesus is going to make everything good in your life, and you're going to be happy all the time. And if you have a hard spot, you just keep, like, it's almost like your faith inoculates you to hardship. As long as you just have enough faith, as long as you just keep claiming things, as long as you, you Jesus shows us that if you truly follow him, and you are a true Christian, life is hard. It's hard. Everybody say it's hard. it's hard. It's hard. And so I want to look at three things about why being a Christian is hard. And here's the first thing. Being a Christian is hard because, number one, the Holy Spirit reminds us that suffering is a reality. 
the Holy Spirit will remind us that suffering is a reality. So starting in chapter 16, I'm going to come back to verse 1. So I want to start in verse 2. And Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, they, the religious leaders and other people who don't like them, it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is doing a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So notice he, he's right out of the gate in chapter 16, getting ready to close this, this teaching time with the disciples. Right before he's almost arrested, he says, guys, you're going to suffer. Number one, they're going to they're kick you out of the synagogue. Now you and I think, well, what's the big deal about that? If I got kicked out of this church, I'll just go to another church. Not so. You get kicked out of, I mean, you're excommunicated, all right? There is no going back. They, you get kicked out of the synagogue, it's almost as if you have no faith anymore. It's almost like you've been killed spiritually. And he, he, he's like, that's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you because you are following me. He goes, and also, um, not only are you going to get kicked out of the synagogue, um, they will kill you. Anybody other than me think being killed, would that's a hard day? That's going to happen to these guys. And Jesus is making it very clear to them that suffering is going to happen. He's not mincing any words about this. And the reason why he's telling them this, because if you look right at the end of verse 4, right before verse 5, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. You see, Jesus is, like I said, he's unpacking all of this at the end. He, he's just unloading on these guys, and he keeps telling them, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. And he's like, I didn't tell you this because, you know, over the past few years because I was with you. He's like, now kind of think about that. When these guys were with Jesus and going throughout the, the, the nation of Israel, going to the north, to the south, going all over... And, and the attacks of the religious leaders came at them. Who took the brunt of everything? Jesus did. Not the disciples. The disciples were just kind of like hanging in the background. And so even when Jesus was attacked for eating with sinners and tax collectors, the, the religious leaders just talked to the disciples. They're like, why does your teacher do that? It wasn't toward them, it was still toward Jesus. Jesus took the brunt of everything. But now, he's telling them, guys, I'm, I'm about to go. My time with you is done. And you need to understand that when I'm gone, who's the brunt of the hatred going to go toward then? Them. They become the tip of the spear. They become the punching bag. Now, as they, when, when, you know, once they get everything you know, normalized and after the, 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 the day of Pentecost happens and they start moving the church forward, they become the persecuted. And Jesus is telling them, you're going to have it. They're going to come after you full force. 
and they will kick you out of the synagogue. They will even kill you. You will be martyred for me. You are going to be persecuted like never before. He's like, it's coming. And he's telling them this for one simple reason. Look at now at verse 1. He says, I have said all these things to you, and here it is, to keep you from falling away. Jesus has been unpacking all of this stuff to them for one reason. I don't want to see you fall away. That word, the, the words fall away could also to be, could, you may have a, a version that says to stumble or to go astray. But from the Greek word, where we get our words falling away, it actually means to be offended, to be angered, or to be shocked, which can lead to falling away. So Jesus is like, listen, when you're, when you're being um, persecuted, when you're feeling the suffering, when life gets really hard for you, don't be shocked. Don't get offended. Get offended at who? At God. Don't get offended at me. Don't be shocked. Don't be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? No, just be like, oh, Jesus told us this isn't going to happen. Don't be shocked. Don't fall away. That's why Peter was able to write in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter now is writing this to Christians. And Peter writes to Christians, Beloved, do not be surprised... At the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange was happening to you. Peter is in these 11 right now hearing the words of Christ. When Jesus says, hey guys, don't be shocked at what comes at you. Don't fall away because of it. And then what happens? Peter and the apostles start to go through it. And now when they begin to write the scriptures. And Peter is writing to the church who has been scattered. Because of the persecution, he writes, hey guys, um, don't be shocked at this. Don't be surprised this is happening to you as if something strange is happening to you. He's like, listen, this is happening. Why? Because Jesus told us it would. Jesus is telling us suffering is going to come. In fact, if you look at verse 4, the beginning of verse 4 now. Jesus writes, he, he, or not writes, he says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, meaning when these people come to persecute you, when they come to attack you, notice he says, when the hour comes, the hour is coming. The time is going to come, guys, when you think everything is, oh, life is good. Suffering is going to happen. It is going to hit. In fact, if you flip to the end of chapter 16, it's almost like verses 1 through 4 and verses 20, or I'm sorry, verses 32 and 33 are like parentheses here. So Jesus begins chapter 16 with talking about suffering, and then he ends chapter 16 by saying, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. 
Yet I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And here it is. In the world you will have tribulation. Jesus didn't say, oh, by the way, guys, um, you may have tribulation. You might have tri- Perhaps you will. No, he, it's very definite, isn't it? You will. The hour is coming. Because a lot of Christians, well, I'm, life's been really good to me. I mean, I have never had any problem. Well, the hour's coming. You will have tribulation. You will suffer. You will face the fiery trial. It is coming. Everybody say, it's coming. Bank on it. So when you do get hit by it, when you do go through the suffering, Jesus is like, just know it's coming so you won't fall away. So you won't be shocked. So you won't be like, why is this happening to me? It's coming. But how do we get through it? Look at verse 4 again. He says, the hour is coming. And when it comes, look what he says, that you may remember that I told you. He's telling them now, which is good. I mean, those of you who have kids, you ever told your kids something once and five minutes later they already forgot it? And what do you got to do? Tell them again. You got to remind them. Well, how does Jesus, how will Jesus remind these guys? How are they going to remember what Jesus has said? Because I'm thinking these guys are probably typical guys. And Jesus is going to tell them this, but down the road they will forget. So how will what Jesus is saying here come back to their memory like a light bulb coming on? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to remind them because if you look at chapter 14, verse 25 again, notice Jesus keeps saying these few words. These things I have spoken to you. He keeps saying that, doesn't he? I've said these things to you. I'm saying these things to you. I've spoken these things to you. In their presence, he keeps telling them things. But Jesus knows one thing. You're going to forget it. So you're going to have to have some help to remember it. And so he says, all these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But look at verse 26. But the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects, and comes back and ascends back to heaven, now these guys are on their own. And as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to them, that's the scripture they begin to write down. As the Holy Spirit begins to inspire them and show them and remind them, hey, remember what Jesus said? Because I got to ask, I ask myself, I mean, all of us, I don't think all, any of us are super Christian, super spiritual, that none of us have ever had any doubts. Have you went through your entire Christian life with never one doubt? Have you gone through your entire Christian life without ever going, is this worth it? I can't handle this anymore. I can't take this. 
It'd be so much easier just to walk away. You ever look at people who aren't Christians and it just seems like they just kind of live carefree? Even going through suffering, they just like, you know, they just like, they're just going through life. They get angry at things. They don't care. They just, but as a believer, we try to live for Christ. We try to live Christ-like. And it's hard, isn't it? To still honor Christ in the storm, to honor Christ in the suffering. How do we not go in, when we're in that suffering and go, man, forget this. How do we not just throw our hands up and just like, I don't want to do this? Because the Holy Spirit brings back to our remembrance. Jesus said this would happen. So I got to wonder, did the disciples ever at a point get to a place did Peter ever get to a place like, man, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of, of being persecuted so bad. Do you think these guys ever had a moment they were like, man, is this worth it anymore? And the Holy Spirit would just speak to them and bring back to their memory, hey, do you remember that night when Jesus said all these things to you and he told you, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation. He told you you would be persecuted. And I have to believe that the Holy Spirit reminds us not to, not like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're, but to encourage our faith. That the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. That the Holy Spirit reminds us what Scripture says. That the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to, again, strengthen our faith. That when we're in that storm, when we are in the fiery trial, when the suffering is as brutal as it can be, and you want to just walk away, that the Holy Spirit reminds us God is still good. That the Holy Spirit reminds us God is still sovereign. That the Holy Spirit reminds us God knows what he's doing. That the Holy Spirit reminds us this life is not it. You see, the Holy Spirit reminds us suffering is a reality. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are going to go through it. The Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' teaching. The Holy Spirit reminds us what the Word of God says, that don't be surprised. Don't be shocked at this. He reminds us so we won't walk away, so we won't fall away, so we won't get angry and offended at God, but we will be anchored to the, to the Word of God and be anchored to who God is and that we can trust Him. But it's hard, isn't it? See, being a Christian is not tiptoeing through the tulip patch. Being a Christian is hard because the suffering that we go through is a reality. Here's the second thing of why being a Christian is hard. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sinful conditions. The Holy Spirit, he reminds us that we will go through suffering, but the Holy Spirit also will convict us about the sinful condition. He's going to convict us of things in our life. He's going to reveal things to us. So now let's look at, starting with verse 5. Jesus says, he says, But none of you ask me, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, that's very interesting. Jesus is like, you guys aren't really diving deep into the fact that I'm about to leave. Sure, you've asked a few you know, surface-level questions, but you're not digging deep. You really haven't said, hey, Jesus, let's go deeper on this. Where are you going? What's about to take place? What's going to happen? They didn't do that. And he says, the old, he says, but your hearts are filled with sorrow because of what I just told you. What did he just tell them? You're going to suffer. That's what they're upset about. They're not upset at the fact that their teacher, their master, their friend is about to die and leave. They're more upset at the fact of like, oh man, we're going to get kicked out of the synagogue and people are going to look at us funny. People are going to call us names and people are going to persecute us and we may die. And now they're grieving over that. The reality is, where was their focus? On them or on Christ? It was on self. Doesn't suffering cause us to do that so easily? When we're going, listen, suffering is real. Going through fiery trials is very real. Health issues, very real. Financial issues, very real. Marital issues, very real. Death of a loved one, very real. And it is very hard. But the reality is, if all I can see is the pain, if that's where my focus is, if it's only on my suffering, here's the natural progression is this. Jesus, I trust you. But if my eyes get off of Christ and it becomes only on why is this happening to me? How long is this going to happen to me? Why isn't God moving? Why isn't God acting? Why isn't this changing? Why are my circumstances not moving? And all I can see is that I become like the disciples. My heart will be filled with sorrow because of the pain I'm going through. And what the natural progression is, I trust God when there's nothing wrong in my life. Now all I see is the pain in my life, and now my eyes are completely off of Christ. Loved ones, that's when we fail. When you and I get our eyes off of Christ, and all I can see is my pain, my problem, the hurt, the suffering, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean it's going, it doesn't change. But if all I can see is what's wrong, that's when I get offended. That's when I'm shocked and surprised and I feel hurt. That's when the enemy comes in and now all of a sudden I feel like I've been betrayed by God. That God has left me. That God's not concerned about me. That God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. If God really, he would change this. If God did, he would move this. If God, and the enemy convinces us, and we believe the enemy, that God's not active anymore. And when I can get my eyes off of God and off of Christ, off of his word, and I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit, people walk away. Have you ever looked at people in the church and like, where did they go? Something happens in their life, and next thing you know, 
gone. Just like off the radar. Why? Because their problem, the pain, the hurt, whatever they went through in their mind was too big. Was too much and God didn't care. Or they just, they just got their eyes off of Christ and they just, like, I, I don't want to go to worship anymore. I, I don't want to serve anymore. I, I don't want to be, I just, I don't want to be. And we just stay home. We just fall away. And Jesus is like, you guys' hearts are filled because of what I just told you. Their eyes are off of Christ. But he goes on. In verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice he says, it's to your advantage that I go when I send the Holy Spirit. Why is it? Who would like to take a pop quiz this morning? I haven't, been, haven't given any pop quizzes in a while. This is going to be a hard pop quiz. Oh, Paul put her hands down on that one. You want to take a hard pop quiz? Okay. Devon, you're, you're, you're an educated man. Let's see how well you do on this one. Why was it necessary for Jesus to leave these disciples and send the Holy Spirit? Why was it to their advantage that the Holy Spirit would come and Jesus not stay with them? You pretty much hit it on the nail head. Very good. See, that's, you, 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 you're there, man. That's, that's pretty much it. Jesus in the flesh, God, still in the flesh, was not omnipresent. He could only interact where he was at, okay? He, he was restricted to boundaries, okay? It wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, guys, I'll be back, pop away and show up somewhere else. He had to walk everywhere he went, didn't he? He was not omnipresent. He could only work, he, he, he could only like, Peter, I got to talk to you. And he would talk to Peter and he could work with Peter. Hey, John, I got to talk to you. He would work and talk to John. Or he could talk to the group. But all these other people he couldn't talk to, he could only do what he could do in the flesh. And he's like, guys, if I stay here, you're going to miss out on so much. So it's to your advantage if I go. Because when I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit, guys, you got to understand. He's not bound by anything. He's omnipresent. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit, guys. He will be in everybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ. He will be in all of you. And so, Peter, if you've got a problem, the Holy Spirit will be in you working in you. John, if you've got a problem, the Holy Spirit will be in you working in you. And he, he will work in each and every one of you simultaneously. That's why the Holy Spirit had to come. Because if the Holy Spirit didn't come, nobody's regenerated. It's through the Holy Spirit that when you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of each and every single person who declares Jesus as Lord, and he lives in you personally, regenerates you spiritually, and now you have the Holy Spirit working in you. And he, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, becomes everything you need him to be for you personally. But here's the thing. 
the way he works in your life is going to be completely different than the way he works in his life. He's working in Devon's life in a particular way, but different in Abby's life. I was meeting with Elmer and Edna this week. Went out and seen them, and Edna, she goes, I just, I just love being in the church because every Sunday it just seems like you speak right to me. And I gave her a little bit of the message, and I go, and I, I, go, I appreciate that. I go, but I go, you want to know what's cool? I go, it's because the Holy Spirit lives in you. I go, the Holy Spirit speaks to you what you need to hear that Sunday. I go, and here's the thing, Edna, I go, what you may be hearing, someone else may not even be hearing that. And so it's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit came down and Jesus left. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to everyone differently. Simultaneously, but differently. And what you need for a particular thing, the Holy Spirit will deal with you. But what someone else may need, the Holy Spirit speaks and deals completely differently in their situation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Now he goes on. In verse 8, he says, And when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, I, I believe those are, those are very like, like broad strokes, but I believe there's even more into that that we can see. Because the word convict actually means to, to enlighten, it, it like, like, like illuminate, okay? And that, that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal truth to people. And, and so he says, I'm going to convict the world. The world in this sense is people, all right? Um, we know that, that the Bible talks the world, about the world in three different ways. The earth, the world's system, its belief and values, and people. Here he's talking about people that the Holy Spirit will convict people about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Before you ever come to know Christ, guess what you are? An unbeliever. Everybody is. At one point in your life, you're an unbeliever. So the Holy Spirit has to convict each and every single person alive about the first thing, sin. But here it is. It's not one particular sin. It's like the, not like the Holy Spirit's convicting, well, you've been drinking alcohol and you're a kind of alcoholic. Well, you, 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 you've got lust in your heart. You're gay. You're, you're the, no, here's the one sin that the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers about. Unbelief. It's unbelief in Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what my particular sin is. That's not the real issue. The real issue is I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And so if I, it's my... My lack of belief in Jesus, that doesn't get me to heaven. So a person has to be convicted about their unbelief. they got to hear the news about Christ, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save people from their sin. So an unbeliever, the world, all of us, at one time in your life, you had to be convicted about your sin. Question, is that hard to hear? 100% that's hard to hear. Nobody wants to hear, hey, you know what? You're a sinner. And you got to believe in Jesus Christ. Because what do we say? I'm not a sinner. I may, oh, sure, I may not be, you know, do everything right. But what people don't understand is, have you put your faith in Christ? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're lost. So Jesus has to convict the world of sin, the sin of unbelief. 
but he also convicts the world in regards to righteousness. Now, Jesus says here, he says, he goes, in regards to righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Well, here's the thing. We got to remember, he's going back to the Father because he came to die on the cross. Remember what Paul says in Corinthians, that when Jesus died on the cross, he became what? Sin. So you and I can become what? The righteousness of God. All right? And so we got to, so he convicts the world, he convicts all of us that the righteousness that we've got to have has got to be his. He's like, when it comes to righteousness, it's about me going back to the Father because it's the righteousness of Christ that we've got to have. But what do we think? It's my righteousness. I'm going to get to heaven based on what I do. If I'm good, if I'm religious, if I'm just a nice person, if I do good deeds, I give to charity, whatever it is, my, my righteous acts get me to God. And Jesus is like, no. So you got to be convicted about your righteousness. People have got to hear that you've got to put your faith in Christ and know Jesus Christ as your Savior because when you know him as your Savior, his righteousness is imputed to you. His righteousness is like a cloak over me. So when God sees me, he doesn't see me as a wretched sinner. He sees me clothed in Christ. But when I think I can perform and get to God on my righteousness, so when a person dies thinking, well, I'll get to God in my own righteousness, I don't need to believe in Christ. So when they stand before God, they are now dead in their sin, and they think they're going to give a resume about, here's what I did, here's who I was. And the Bible says that all of our righteous acts are but filthy rags before God. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that nobody will boast about what they did before God. Because we are only saved through faith in Christ. And his righteousness has got to be imputed to us. That's why he went back to the Father. So we could have his righteousness. But then he also convicts the world of the third one, which is judgment. And he says in, in concerning in verse 11, concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. He's talking about the enemy. The devil is already judged. That's what, do you know hell was, pre, pre, uh, was prepared for Satan and demons, not for people? Understand that. Hell was never meant for people. The reason why people go to hell is because of the first two aren't enacted. People, God does not send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. God has given a way for people to get out of hell through Christ. People, God has given us the provision through his word, has given us the provision of how, how to be saved. And the provision is faith in Christ justifies me before God. Faith in Christ saves me. Faith in Christ imputes his righteousness on me. So when I put my faith in Christ alone and no other avenue, I am saved and I, am etern I have eternal life. But when someone refuses to put their faith in Christ, think, I will, I'm going to trust in my righteous acts, judgment comes. And I'm judged just like the enemy. And the judgment is I stand before the great white throne judgment as defined in Revelation. 
and the book of life is opened up. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, the book of life is anyone who has come to know Christ as Savior. And that righteousness of Christ is on them and their, life, their name is in that book. But if I have never asked Christ to save me, if I've never had his righteousness given to me, then my name is not found in that book. And if my name is not found in that book, God will look at the person and say, I never knew you. You have to depart from me. And that person is judged eternally in the separation of God in hell. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, will convict the world about. These, th these three things. But the question is, is how does the Holy Spirit convict? Okay? This is where it gets hard for you and me. The question has got to be, how does he convict? How does that happen? Does he just float around? Well, he floats, I guess. I don't know what the Holy Spirit does. But is he just like a ghostly figure that just kind of, and he just falls on a person, the person's like, oh my gosh, I got to go to heaven. Or does the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through the people of God, convict people without Christ. You see, when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, it says when the Holy Spirit came down on them, he preached, and the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word of God through Peter, convicted the people. People aren't just walking down the street and going, do, 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 Whoa, I think I better go to church. I think something's wrong with me. I need Jesus. That's not happening. But the way the conviction happens is when you have a conversation with someone and you ask them, are you saved? Are you going to go to heaven? And then you begin to dialogue. And if you start to have that conversation, that person goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven because, you know what, I, I, I've been a member of a church my whole life. I'm going to go to heaven because I, I give to the United Way a lot of money. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a pretty, yeah, I'm a pretty good, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. And in that moment is when the conversation begins. And it's in that moment that through the, the Holy Spirit will convict that person of sin, righteousness, and judgment if you're doing your job as a believer. And then all of a sudden you begin to go, mm -mm, you don't go to heaven because of your righteous works. You got to know Jesus Christ as your savior because he's got to forgive you of your sin. You're a sinner and your sin's going to, it will separate you from God for all eternity. And only Jesus can forgive you and you got to know him by, through faith. Have you ever trusted him as your savior? Because if you haven't, you don't have his righteousness and your righteous works aren't going to get you to heaven. You can't boast. And if you don't know Christ and you, you don't, you'll face judgment. Raise your hands if you think that's hard. That's a hard conversation to have with people, isn't it? Because it's very, it's just out there. You see, it's hard to be a witness for Christ. But we have to. And then lastly, give me two minutes. We're going to finish this up with number three. The third reason why being a Christian is hard. Because the Holy Spirit challenges us to stand for the truth of God's word. He challenges us to stand for the truth of God's word. Jesus writes, says in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but 
you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit, Holy Spirit, is only truth. He can't speak a lie. He speaks only truth. He says, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will, speak on, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are, that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said this, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to these guys. When Jesus is gone and they're out there, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to these guys. And this is how we get the scriptures. They are, they are, they are led along and the Holy Spirit will impart the truth. And the Holy Spirit is only going to say truth. And that truth is going to come from God. And the whole, God is going to speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to these guys. They write down the scriptures. And guess what we have? The scripture. And now the Holy Spirit speaks truth to us through God's word. Okay? The primary way the Holy Spirit will speak truth to you is through this. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you in different ways. But the primary way, 99.5% of the time, is going to be through this. All right? And guess what? It's hard to do standing on that thing. Because the culture, people, friends, family, co-workers, Christians... Don't want to take this thing as absolute truth. So you and I, you have a decision, I have a decision. And the decision is this. Is this thing truth or not? There is no middle ground on this. Well, some of it is. No, it's not. Either the whole pool is chlorine or it's not. You can't have half a chlorinated pool. Well, I want to swim in the chlorinated half. No, if you've got a round pool, it's all chlorinated or it's all pool or it's all pond water. The Bible is no different. It's either all truth or it's none. And so you have a decision to make. Do I believe that this book I hold in my hands is the very word of God? Only you can answer that. It, 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 is, it either is or it's not. And if you believe, yes, I believe this is the word of God. Yes, I believe this is truth. Then you got to stand for it. And there will be people who will oppose you. The culture is telling us all kinds of things. News reporters, Hollywood, social media, whatever it is. They are, they, they are saying it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter as long as you are good, as long as you are sincere. It doesn't matter. Well, you got to, what does the Bible have to say? There are politicians saying all kinds of things. Loved ones, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You got to vote according to this. You've got to look at, and I'm, I, I thought about this this week as I put this together. This is not a political thing, but all I do know is I'm watching pastors and Christians not looking at candidates based on this. We were just saying, well, this guy or that guy's got to be so-and-so because his policies are so good. But it doesn't matter about character, ethics, morality, or nothing else. Loved ones, we got to look at people who we're going to vote for. Do the, no one in the, in the, who's going to be president is going to be perfect. Every man, woman is a sinner. But when it comes to morality, ethics, character, 
what does the Bible say? When it comes to government making decisions, what does the Bible say about following our government? You see, we want to throw... We want to say the Bible's real, the Bible's true, as long as it makes me happy. As long as it fits into my, you know, little world. As long as the Bible aligns with what I want to do. As long as the Bible says what I say, I agree with it. But the moment I see something, the moment I need to do something, the moment I need to act in a way, well, I just don't, I, I, want, to, I want to do what I want to do. And I know the Bible tells me, I'm going to do it anyway. That's not standing for truth. It's taking what the word of God says. Looking at the culture. Looking at politics. Looking at government. Looking at everything. And does this become my world view? I'm telling you. It's hard. Standing on the truth of God's word is hard. And when you make the decision at work, with family, with friends, with other Christians, and you make the declaration and you say, you know what, I see what the Bible truly has to say, and I disagree with you, people will hate you. People will oppose you. People will attack you. Why? Because it's hard. You need to understand, you and I need to understand that when, when it's hard going through suffering, when it's hard when people reject your witness, when it's hard standing on the, the, the truth of God's word, when it's hard you and I have got to be able to declare, you know what? Jesus has already told me in this world I'm going to have tribulation. But I know in him I have peace. And so I'm going to declare, even in this world I have tribulation, but I know he has overcome this world. And that, loved ones, is how you and I keep moving forward in this world. It's hard to suffer. It's hard to be a witness. And it's hard to stand on the word of God because everything around you is going to tell you something completely different and it's going to come at you very hard and oppose you. But in Christ and through Christ, you can walk one day at a time in faith, anchored to Christ, knowing this is not it. Amen? Why don't we all stand? Let's have a word. Of Let's not uh, do a closing song. This morning, no sense in turning around and doing all that. Let me pray for us. Let me get us out of here. I'm one minute over 1130. I got probably kids over in the nursery going, where is my mom and dad? <laughs> Been gone for three weeks, folks. So let's pray. Father, we praise you. Jesus, you are good. and You are, you are the word of truth. And G Holy Spirit, you have come to reveal to us truth. You've come to um, dwell within us. You've come to give us life. You've come to help us through the suffering. And help us now. Let this word change us. Let this word be an anchor to our, our souls. Help us, Lord, when it's hard in our suffering. Help us, Holy Spirit, when it's hard to be a witness. 
Help us, Holy Spirit, when it's hard to stand on the word of God. Help us to be the believers in Jesus Christ that you want us to be. And we just praise you, Father, and we just thank you. I pray you'll just go before us now and let us go out into the world this week and be the light and the salt that we need to be. And we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.